This is Back to Excited with your host, Arvind, and Acting the Fool from Pension Plan Puppets. Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 123. My name is Arvind, joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fool. Hi, everybody. How have you been doing the past couple weeks, Wooderman? I've been doing very little, and it looks like I'm going to be doing even less, because Toronto is going into a necessary and belated lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> this How Are You Doing like mini-segment has gotten real depressing since March. I appreciate your devotion to the social contract and asking me how I am doing, though. It, it shows an interest in my personal well-being, and that's the foundation of our podcast. How yeah. are you doing? Uh, yeah, just busy. Um, the frank, frankly, the lockdown is not going to change very much for me because I don't think I leave the house much <laughs> at all, anyways. So, yeah, you've been you've been grinding pretty hard lately. So, yeah, please keep Arvin in your thoughts. He's working his <laughs> ass off. Um, but we have a podcast yes. that we will proceed with. This is the second half of our league survey pod. A couple weeks ago, we did the first half. We went through the Minnesota Wild. Just trying to look at what did they do this offseason and how do we think that bears on the overall situation of the team. So without too much further ado, I'll get started with our hated rivals, the Montreal Canadiens, who had a hell of a busy offseason. So the first thing is they traded a fifth for Joel Edmondson, who is like a bad defenseman, I would put it. And then they signed him for four years at three and a half million. Her? Yeah, that, I mean, I think putting calling him a bad defenseman is, is pretty fair. Yeah, I, I mean, like in hockey, I don't think he's that good at the NHL level. So I don't think that I would have done this, but, you know, Mark Bergevin did it, so that's that. Uh, the big deal was that they traded Max Domi, who was their belligerent, defensively porous, but I would say gifted playmaking center. For Josh Anderson, who was like a beloved power forward winger previously of Columbus. And then they gave Josh Anderson seven years at five and a half million per. That's a big bet. Uh, a really big bet, I would say. Josh Anderson had one goal last year. And now he was plagued by injuries. He only played 26 games. But still, that's one goal. That's almost zero goals. And so... That's not the kind of return on investment you want to get. Yeah, he had as many NHL that. goals as Nick Robertson. <laughs> yes, he does. And yet, Nick Robertson is not making $5.5 million yet. So, that'll be something to keep an eye on. Uh, I'll briefly survey the rest of it. They extended Jeff Petrie at four years at $6.25 million per. He's good. He's like kind of... I wouldn't say he's like the quintessential modern defenseman, but he's one of the first guys I can remember the stats guys really going to bat for back when he played in Edmonton and seemed to get no respect. He's now acknowledged as a pretty good defenseman. He is 34. And so signing him for four years probably takes you into what could be a pretty steep decline. But they've elected to do it, and he will be good probably next year at least. Uh, they traded a third-round pick for Jake Allen, who has one year at $4 million left or so. They extended Jake Allen for two years after that at 2.875. And so the idea is that it's going to be kind of expansion draft bait, I guess. But I don't know if that's the greatest idea. I know like they're, they're trying to get Carey Price more rest, and so they're trying to get a, a 1B and they're willing to pay for it. They have the most expensive goaltending imaginable. 
And uh, they did sign Tyler Toffoli, previously at Vancouver, four years at 4.25. He's a good player, unequivocally. Uh, they extended Brennan Gallagher for six years at 6.5. The extension kicks in after this year. It's a very good extension, I think. Because Brendan Gallagher is an exceptional player, and they didn't eat that much term risk, relatively speaking, or pay that much money. Like, he's worth more than this now. And uh, they drafted a big defense prospect named Caden Gould right after we did. If he does well, expect to hear about how the Leafs neglected to draft a defenseman and instead took a forward in Rodion Amirov. Woo! That's a, a lot. Offseason. Yeah, so... Yeah. Long. A lot to um, a lot to discuss here. So, it's... sorry, go ahead. Yeah, well, I was just going to say a lot of people seem to think that they're vastly improved, and I think I buy that they're a bit better. I'm not seeing what everyone else is, maybe. And you know, I think Tyler Toffoli is an unequivocally good ad. I don't know about Max Domi for Josh Anderson, even if they're confident that they have their centers sorted out for the the coming season in terms of Nick Suzuki, Jesper Kotkaniemi, and then Philip Deneau. And they said, well, they didn't want to play Max Domi on the wing. Domi doesn't apparently like playing the wing, so they got a proper winger. Okay, but I don't know. A lot of people just seem to be neglecting the huge risk that Josh Anderson isn't as good as he was before his massive injuries. Yeah. Yeah, it's... So, Anderson's interesting, because... You know, that that trade, you know, comes on or, you know, it gets reported and everyone just starts laughing. And <laughs> we, lo- I mean, we looked a little bit into Josh Anderson when we were talking about Columbus. He didn't play against us because of injury. And he, I don't believe he ended up playing in the playoffs, period. Um, mm-hmm. But he does seem like he is a pretty decent player. He seemed like his puck um, driving or play driving uh, metrics seem to be all right, like like pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, he has, you know, to whatever extent you want to believe in intangibles and toughness and whatnot, he certainly has those. He did, as you said, he didn't score very much even in the games he did play last year, right? One goal in 26 games. But he was also, you know, quite snake bitten, and he's been around an average shooter the rest of his career. So, in a sense, this is buying low. It, at least, <laughs> I mean, in a sense, it's buying low, but in another more real sense, in the amount of dollars they paid him, it's not really buying low at all. Yeah, it's buying at a time when you would expect him to be at sort of a lower price, except they paid full price for him. Yes, that, so, that's the thing. Like, I, I can see him being value on that deal, but it, it does seem like a risk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, it, has Anderson scored a hat-trick against us? I feel like he has. I just assume everyone scores hat-tricks yeah. against us. So maybe I'm colored by that. Um, this possible hat-trick that he might have scored against us at some point. Which <laughs> which is true of like 65% of the players in the NHL, frankly. Um, but yeah, it's... It, it, it's certainly... It's a questionable move, right? And, and they're giving up one of their few players with real offensive gifts in Max Domi. Now, you know, mm-hmm. if, if we want to go the direction of Mark Bergeron makes trades that often look dumb, but aren't, right? He's made two of them, and one of them involved Max Domi. People, mm-hmm. not not us, because we were smart, I think. <laughs> I think I think we were actually okay with that, with the Domi for Gauchenyuk trade, because I don't think either of us were that high on Gauchenyuk at that point. Um, no. And then, of course, the Subban for Weber trade, I think almost all of the stats people were wrong on that, and I certainly include myself and probably you in that yep, as well. Definitely. Because uh, Weber has aged beautifully, and Subban has very much not. 
Um, but with, with Domi, they're giving it one of the few players with kind of real offensive talent, with real playmaking talent. He had, you know, that 70-point year in his first year there. Um, and, of course, that was buoyed by hot shooting. He had a worse shooting year last year. And, you know, if, if Max Domi isn't scoring, he's not doing a lot for you. Mm-hmm. So I can see why they soured on him. Um, but I also wonder to what extent is this Claude Julien kind of alienating all the, 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 the flashy offensive players in this, in this team. And if you can draw a line between that and their perennially poor um, shooting and conversion rate on offense. Yeah, I remember when we had Alan previously of Raw Charge, friend of the podcast, on here. One of the things he talked about, he says, yeah, these Claude Julian teams always seem like they have great possession and not always the greatest finishing. But that's not coincidental after a while when you notice what happens to the personnel on the teams that he coaches. They fall in love with these extremely gritty, committed, two-way players, and they seem to give up on a certain amount of flash and talent. And Max Domi, I mean, let's say at the least he's a loud personality, but I don't think that he's an especially rosy dressing room presence when he's not getting the points and the ice time in the position that he wants. And so I think that discontent probably played a role there. But still, now they've added Josh Anderson, who was another guy who's going to suit the Julian system, and that's all well and good. But it does seem to add up to they still don't have a ton of finishing talent, and that's always been what's held this team back. And it's not so much that I'm attached to Max Domi, per se. Like, it's not that hard to imagine Josh Anderson outperforming Domi next year Mm -hmm. but they seem to have one clear weakness and it never really gets addressed except in that they drafted nick suzuki who was a good pick but he's one guy and so you know if you want to draw a through line through this whole offseason edmondson domi for anderson uh the big gallagher extension all that sort of stuff it looks like they are committing to being this Claude Julian team in perpetuity, and I guess they've just decided that that's going to be enough. Yeah, I, and I'm not. Even, I'm. I'm always hesitant to make these like declarative claims about someone's system or whatnot because mm-hmm. we know hockey is incredibly random, and you know, even if you say okay, it's a fifty-fifty shot for them to have bad finishing however many years in a row, well, those do happen sometimes, right? Over the course of all NHL seasons. Over the past four years, you would expect one team or, or two teams to consistently have very good finishing or consistently have very bad finishing. And that team is Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, you're right. So it, you know, it, it could be that Julian is just getting unlucky, but I, I think at some point we do have to start considering, okay, is there something in his system or there's, there's something uh, that he's doing? Or is it, you know, his influence on personnel that's, that's making this team consistently undershoot its expected goals, right? Or, yeah, is it something, is, are they getting all these shots from, like, good locations, but they're bad shots from good locations, if that makes sense? Like, we, we've seen shots where, I don't know, just to pick a least player, where Zach Hyman is, like, off balance, falling, using, like, the the bottom of his stick to, like, just <laughs> shovel the puck towards the net, and it's, like, from a foot <clears throat> out. But, <clears throat> you know, based on the actual speed of the puck and his position and the goalie's position, it's not actually that great a chance. Right. Right? So if, if you systemically generate things like that, then maybe that's the case. Um, we don't know, but I'm with you. I don't, I don't, I think they're in the mushy middle, right? And we're going to say that mm-hmm. about a lot of teams, but I don't think they're, they've especially gotten much better. Um, the Allen 
acquisition, the Jake Allen acquisition is, is interesting. I guess, as you said, the idea is to get Carey Price more rest, and maybe they think, okay, mm-hmm. Carey Price is going to improve if we if he gets rested more. And yeah, maybe that's possible. But man, you're paying like how much money for goaltending? Yeah, that's kind of what gives me pause. You can argue it on the basis of, okay, we've made this massive investment in Carey Price. That's kind of sunk cost now. We're committed to him forever. Now all we can do is protect our investment. And so, as much as it kind of sucks to be paying nearly $15 million a year against the cap on goaltending, which they will do next season, you've got to say, okay, we're committed to this. How do we put ourselves in good shape? And it has to be said, Carey Price looked very good in the playoffs (laughs) after some pandemic-imposed time off. And he's 33, and they've got him for another six seasons. I get the argument that they think that the money they might be spending on a 1B goalie like Jake Allen is money that is, in a sense, paying double because it's helping secure your investment on Gary Price, theoretically. Jake Allen, though, had one good year last year and then underperformed for quite a few years before that, and he's 30. So maybe he's figured it out. Maybe he's going to have a return to form. Maybe anything will happen because it's goalies and goalies are voodoo. But if you've made this big investment, you're still trying to buy security in the goalie market, which we've seen time and time again, really hard to do. And so I think in taking on this investment and then committing to it, they're trying to buy certainty. That's kind of tough to come by. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the, yeah, they, they still again. could be fine. Like, as you said, this was... Yeah. A team that got the better of the shots and chances battle in most games last year and was let down by bad shooting and, I believe, you know, not great goaltending either. Mm-hmm. One of those two things changes, which they very easily can. You're looking at not just a, a solid team, but a very good one, actually. Mm-hmm. So, And it is worth noting, you know, we talked about the, the Julian issues where maybe they do some things or make some personnel choices that kind of sewer their shooting percentage, but they were a really good possession team they owned the puck a lot and even if that led to shot quality that was a little diminished beyond what we can measure that's not nothing you know the los angeles kings won cups doing that so yeah yeah i i I think a lot about mark bergevin because i like to make fun of the montreal canadians and i want a sound basis for doing so he's not a disastrous gm It has to be said, I don't think that he's an idiot or anything like that. I've made fun of him in the past, but if I'm being honest in my assessment of him, he has made moves that have turned out quite well. And he's made some that I thought were stupid, but that's true of any GM who has a long run. But what came to me when we were looking at this whole offseason is Bergevin seems to be doing good individual moves that don't add up to a strategy that makes a lot of sense to me. Or if they do, the strategy is we've committed to Weber and Carey Price and Claude Julian and here we are. And so we just got to kind of keep they? doing it. Sorry, go ahead. They're a team on two timelines. Mm-hmm. We talked and about this before. Tough. But it's yeah. also they're, they're continuing to double down on that with, you know, uh, extending Petrie. And again, like that's that's a contract that's fine, I think. But as you said, it's like, okay, our, that's the contract a team that's trying to be good now does. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think, yeah, they're, they're kind of hoping that they're a good team now, and then as, you know, Weber and Petrie and, I guess, Price fall off, they will hopefully be able to be buoyed by guys like, you know, Kotkaniemi and Suzuki. 
and go from there, right? And mm-hmm. I guess Keegan Gooley as well. Um, I not that I really want to root for the failure of any you know 18 year old who's done nothing wrong as far as I know but I really hope Caden Gooley is not that good an NHL player I'm sorry but we have to do what we have to do and if that includes wishing remorseless failure on this teenager then we're gonna do it and we're it, dedicated. it's not even that he's a Habs player it's just that the Leafs could have picked him and there were so many people saying oh you know he, he's a big strong defenseman who has you know some concerns to my understanding about how he um how his puck playing will really project to to the next level and how good he will be at, you know, moving the puck both with his feet and with his hands. Although I don't think he's a bad skater or anything. No. Um, but he wasn't a prospect that really excited me, and apparently he wasn't a prospect that really excited Kyle Dubas either. But if we're wrong on that, and we very well could be, um, this is going to be, like, rubbed in the Leafs' face forever. We're going to hear about it for a long time. Now, that said... And I know that we are in full silly season with prospects, but if you're trying to find something to cheer you in this winter of our discontent, Rodion Amirov is looking pretty fine in his play so far. So hopefully that pick will will pan out for us. Like, all, all in all, Montreal scares me. I think Montreal is the fourth best team in the Atlantic, and I have the Leafs third, and I don't think the gap is that big, or at least... I can see how it would be bridged pretty quickly if they just get a little bit lucky and Price returns to form a bit and Allen is good. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and none of those things are that crazy. It's just the overall strategy here, I'm still like, either one of these problems gets fixed out of the blue to a huge degree, or I don't see how this team really becomes a contender. As you said in the end, I think that they're a good mushy middle team, and that's it. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so we ready to move to the Nashville Predators. Yep. Um, they bought out Kyle Turris after that uh, oof, excruciating deal. Mm-hmm. That did not end well. And they'll have $2 million against the salary cap in his memory for eight years. <laughs> Fuck, that's a long time. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, they signed Mark Borowicki at two years at $2 million. Uh, I guess they didn't learn their lesson about getting guys out of Ottawa. But, you know, Burrowick, he seems like a really nice guy, and he's a character defenseman, so that's fine. They got a bunch of depth guys. We won't waste your time on all of those. They traded Nick Bonino a second and a third for Luke Coonan and a fourth. Wisdom, Minnesota. Doesn't seem that great, to be honest. Bonino had a Bonino very good year last year. Older. Sorry, go ahead. Bonino had a very good year last year. Like a sneakily, yes, like, excellent year. Yeah. Now, now Kunin is 23, but Benigno is 32. Yes. So, if you think Kunin has a lot of room to grow ahead of him, then then fine. But they probably didn't get the best player right now, and Nashville is really committed to trying to win at the moment. Uh, they drafted Yaroslav Askarov, who was probably the most touted goalie prospect I can remember since at least, I'm going to say, Vasilevsky. But he was very well thought of, and he went 11th overall which is about as high as goalies go anymore. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that, you know, works out for them in the long run. They've usually had pretty good goaltending with Pekka and now transitioning to UC Saros. It looks to me like they're going to run it back pretty well, minus Calturas, obviously. Mm-hmm. But they seem like they've kind of said, okay, this is what we got. We're going to do it. They're sitting on a lot of cap space. If they decide they want to take a run at Mike Hoffman or Anthony Duclair, for example, who are still out there. Or if they had balls, Matt Barzal. 
Yeah. <laughs> or send an offer sheet to Anthony Shirelli. Yeah. But or something like that. Yeah. You know, just, just throwing it out there. <laughs> okay, but in all seriousness, like, they have all of their draft picks next year, except 07th. They have 12 million projected against the cap, or like close to 13. They're really trying to win now. It's like, come on, man. Now, I don't know what financial structures they're under. Maybe Nashville does not want to come close to the cap. Yeah, I mean, I they, they have cut a lot of salary, and that might not be an accident. Yeah, so whatever. But it's like, I mean, you, they've made all these massive financial commitments to, like, Johansson, DeShane, um, obviously Roman Yossi, Ryan Ellis. I'm not even saying, like, that includes all good players and a few really good ones even if a couple of those deals are overpays. But, like, you're trying to be something now, guys. Like, you might as well swing for the fences. Yeah, I... For what... And the thing is, they don't even have any RFAs of their own who are well, potential Kunin, retribution but, targets, cares? really. Yeah, like Luke Kunin, but, like, yeah. who cares? Yeah, It'll like, no, no one's, you know, offersheeting Luke Kunin for big money. Um, yeah. So, yeah, N- Nashville was, like, They've been chasing, you know, their white whale, which is, you know, a good, a strong, like, contending center, contending number one center for a long time. And they've paid, like, you know, three different guys to be facsimiles of that. I guess Tourist, they paid him to be a second line center, and he wasn't that either. But they paid Johansson, they paid uh, Duchesne. And mm-hmm. neither of those contracts looks really great right now. And, it, you know, their, their, their forward contracts are not phenomenal, and their defense contracts absolutely are so it's an interesting mm-hmm. dichotomy um, yeah but yeah it's just uh they um haven't been able to to fill that role and i think it's one of those things where uh Leafs fans now are a little bit spoiled in, in um how much offensive talent we have and how we were able to we got matthews for free and we were able to sign john Tavares. um mm-hmm. and I think some fans forget to some extent like how much we struggle to get elite talent and how much of a struggle it is to get elite talent in general if you don't draft it high or luck into a free agent, right? Like prior to that, since Sundin left, we were screaming out for a center. Our best center since, you know, between Sundin and um, Matthews was like either Bozak or Grabowski. Yeah, it was it was rough out there. Um, and, and so... You know, you add this all together, and it's it's a tough situation for them to be in, and I recognize that it's probably going to be tough to get out of. It does seem like... I Like, I thought that they might kind of run it back on the basis of, we've committed to this, they had just a rough down year, we'll come in, we'll give John Hines a chance to, you know, run a training camp, and just trust that our good players will be good players again. But they bought out Kyle Turris... And that's the kind of thing that you do when you're trying to free up space. And then I don't know if they swung and missed or what happened, but now it's like, okay, well, you have to hope that the team that was not great last year just gets better. And, you know, it might, but I don't know how many more kicks at the can they're going to get. Like Pekka Rene is about done. He's got one year left at five, and then I think his career is probably going to be over. So... I, I don't know <laughs> really what uh, what the drift is. This is a team that was a contender in the West a yeah. few years back. Defense could, it was the envy of the world, and here we are. It could be as simple as, you know, they had a brief window, and that's usually all you get in the NHL is a brief window. Mm-hmm. 
before you know players aging and you know a small personnel mistake moves it the other direction yeah and yeah like that's it seems to essentially be what happened here i mean even um when they were a contending team their offense was was not strong no right and it's you know the defense is as good as ever but their their offense is crater to the point that it's i guess just no longer good enough yeah, I mean, it would appear. And they didn't own the puck to anywhere near this, the extent that you would have hoped for a team that is reputed to be good, you know, as a two-way team, if nothing else. Like, based on reputation, you would expect them to have a stat profile like Montreal that we just described, where they own the puck even if the finishing talent is a bit down. But they really didn't even do that. And that's disappointing for for a team like them. Now, I know Matt DeShane is not going to turn you into a defensive stalwart by any means. And it turned out Kyle Turris wasn't either once you got him away from Mark Stone. But yeah, like it's it's kind of disappointing how it's been petering out. And you look at them, you see they have a wheeler dealer GM like David Poyle, who's generally been willing to be quite aggressive, sometimes to the point of madness, but he's always been willing to make moves. And, you know, he is 70 years old. I don't know how much longer he's going to do this. He's already, he's run Nashville forever, but Mm -hmm. I do wonder if there was another move intended here that didn't come to fruition or if they still have something planned. Yeah. And for the record, you know, for all I know, they could have sent Sergeyev and Shirelli and whoever else offer sheets and those guys could have said no thanks, but it, it does feel like something was missing here and it didn't end up happening. Yeah. I'm looking at their numbers now. It's like, man, you know, 2014 to 2016 that was a really good team like decent offense slightly above average offense but like they just completely shut you down defensively mm-hmm. right um and i i wonder this has been i guess a, a pet peeve of mine their power play has just never made sense at all and i i <laughs> this is a, another half-baked theory of mine similar to the lindell theory um <laughs> but my, my thinking is if you were a team that is built around defense. Um, when people talk about, okay, does offense you know, win championships, does defense win championships or whatever, um, they also have to acknowledge that if you're a team built around defense, your power play uh, it has a higher than average chance of sucking. Yep. Not just because um, you might not have great forwards, but because your, defense, your defensemen are good, and that means they are going to want shots on the power play. So you're just going to build an inefficient power play. This is a very half-baked theory. I'm sure there's a million counterexamples. Okay, but I think that there's a lot to recommend that. Because it appeals to my personal biases, as all theories should. Yes. So, yeah, but I do believe that there's actually some truth in that. Because Nashville has consistently had outstanding defensemen, including some who are reputed to be quite good as offensive defensemen, Mm -hmm. and terrible outcomes. And, And for the record, over the last four years... In expected goals 60 at 5-on-4, just to, to take a stat, Nashville is dead last in the NHL. Like, it's just, you, you know, like, at a certain point, the proof is in the pudding. And they scored a little more than they were expected to, but they were still a bottom-10 team, despite having what would, we would think is a lot of talent. Yeah, and that's what makes their, you know, decline 5v5 more damaging, is that they have no special teams buffer. Right? Like, they're not a bad mm-hmm. 5v5 team. They're like a little bit above average. But when they were you know, a great team, they were way above average 5v5. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what let them, um, you know, 
allow it meant they could survive while having as terrible a power play as they did getting you know so little out of that yeah i I, you know i do think that there is a bit of a trend in some stats analysis to view power plays as cotton candy like they're not that substantial we don't rely on them because they don't have larger samples we generally when we want to first see how good a team is we correctly look at five on five and like i think that's justified that's when most of the game happens but if you get a lot of goals on your power play, that matters. That's a, a weapon. And if you get very few goals over a really extended period, then you got to make them up somewhere. And that is a problem. It's a problem for Montreal. It's a problem for Nashville. And I do wonder if it's solvable. Like, people have tried. And, and you know, I guess they were a little better last year than they were in previous seasons when they were abject. But... This team is not as good as it should be, I guess is my bottom line. Or maybe I just, you know, I'm too impressed by the big names and reputations, by how good the top three defensemen are. But it's, this is a surprisingly mediocre team for the amount of talent that's involved. And I thought maybe they were in a position to upgrade, but they didn't. And so unless something changes with the same people, this team is going to be a disappointment again next year. Yeah, they're they're another team that... They, they, again, they can make the playoffs. They can win a round at the playoffs. Hockey's so random that like it doesn't, you know, anything can happen really. But mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't see them being a contender. No, and I don't see them as that close to being a contender. No. Right. And uh, I, oh, sorry. Go yeah. ahead. No, I was just going to say because for the longest time I thought that they were, and so now it's, it's striking to me how far they've fallen. Yeah. Because I, I was really impressed with them. Uh, also not a contender. <laughs> And much further from ever being it are the New Jersey Devils. So they made uh, their interim GM into a permanent GM. That's Tom Fitzgerald. They made a lot of nice little moves, I thought. They signed Corey Crawford, two years at $3.9 million. He's going to platoon with Mackenzie Blackwood. Mackenzie Blackwood is their hot up-and-coming goalie. He's quite young. Crawford is old, but still good. This is okay as kind of a, a, 1A, a 1B situation where they let Blackwood get his feet in. Maybe Crawford mentors him a little bit. Uh, they took advantage of a couple of cap-strapped teams, one of which you will know intimately. Uh, the first one was they got Ryan Murray from Columbus for a fifth. Murray has a year left at 4.6. When Ryan Murray plays, he's a really good defenseman, I would say, like a solid second-pairing guy. Uh, he gets injured a lot. And that's always bedeviled him from when he was picked quite high. But still, for a fifth-round pick and a team that has really no cap concerns like the Devils, even if they do have genuine financial structures, uh, that's good. And then they got Andreas Janssen from us for prospect Joey Anderson. Janssen has three years at 3.4 left. He's going to get an opportunity to play up the lineup there. Uh, they drafted three times. In the first round this year, which is good. Uh, They got Alexander Holtz, who people view as one of the best potential goal scorers in this draft. Like, I'm not guaranteeing him anything, but he's one of the names that you can see in the Rocket Richard race in a few years if things go well for him. They got Dawson Mercer, who's a sensible two-way forward, and Shakir Mukamadillon, who has been a controversial prospect, but he's big and strong and may turn into something. I think it adds up to a nice offseason that doesn't fix anything for this team in the short term. I'm not saying they could have, because it's hard to come back from being awful and having to trade Taylor Hall. Mm-hmm. 
But, like, I think they did a lot of little things in a nice fashion. Yeah, I think they've improved. It's just, yeah. you know, have they improved enough? They're, it's still not an incredibly impressive roster, but, you know, they, they have the possibility for really good goaltending now with Crawford and Blackwood. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if P.K. Saban can maybe get a little bit rejuvenated, I don't know how much is left there, but he used to be one of the most electric players in hockey not that long ago, and he's going to have had eight, nine months off to, you know, recalibrate, work on any nagging injuries, maybe see if he can get back in the best shape he possibly can. I don't want to assume that that's going to happen. I'm just saying that that would go a long way for them. And then some combination of Murray, Saban, Severson, and Will Butcher, it might give them an okay top four. Mm-hmm. And they do um, have Jack Hughes, right, who had a yeah. pretty poor rookie year, uh, probably especially um, when you consider the hype. That, that he came in with, you know, he was a guy who is talked about as a really elite level prospect. And we've been spoiled the last few years where, you know, guys like Eichel and Matthews and certainly Connor McDavid, they, they come into the league as, you know, high picks, first overall, second overall picks, and they're all stars immediately. Mm-hmm. And that was not the case for Hughes at all. Um, but given his game, maybe he was, you know, always more likely to have a bit more growing pains in terms of how he adapts to the league. And if you believe in his talent, then you would certainly expect him to be pretty good going forward. And that could be a huge boon for this team. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, you know, notwithstanding he didn't come in and blow the doors off the NHL, he did survive as an 18-year-old in some sense. Like, I mean, you can say if he didn't have the name recognition in the draft slot, maybe he would have been demoted to the AHL. But I think he had more of a case to stick around. I mean, the Devils were also so bad that it didn't have a positive impact on anyone's numbers. But he looked, you know, okay by the stat profile, at least survivable. And just doing that at 18 in the NHL is no mean feat. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I think that he has time. It's also worth noting, once the Saban salary ends, and that's at the end of 2022, or like the 2022 season, um... They have an extremely clean cap sheet. Like, they really have no commitments that are going to bother them after a year or two. They basically, like, they've locked up Nico Hishir, who is really cool and 21, well into the future. And then that's it. So, there's not a lot of dead wood salary-wise left to clear. Uh, I... To judge by how much cap space they've left, they may also be under financial structures right now. But, you know, I do think that they're in a position to kind of start the climb out. It sucks for them because they've been in the basement for a long time. They thought they were on their way out with Taylor Hall and it didn't end up happening. But it's not like there's there's a lot that's looming over them the way we see with some teams where they're going to have massive cap commitments Mm -hmm. three, four years into the future that are still going to cloud the picture. Yeah. I do think Janssen, you know, will be nice for them. I think, yep. you know, he's going to play big minutes there. He'll be on the power play, possibly playing with Hughes. You know, that'll be, that'll be a good fit for him. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. And so, yeah, I, like, I think, that, like, this is still, I'm very sure, a bottom 10 team. Like, maybe if some combination of Crawford and Black would give them absolutely lights out goaltending. But that's the same caveat that you have for every team, and all you can say is that Crawford has recently been good. Beyond that, like, the personnel aren't there yet, uh, you know, unless they get a huge leap out of Hughes or whatever, but, you know, it's it's starting, I guess. Like, they're kind of back to 
the early stages of the rebuild, but they have some nice pieces. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so let's move along to the New York Islanders. Um, the Islanders signed Ryan Pulak, who was one of their RFAs for two years at $5 million. We discussed the Devin Tays trade to Colorado for a couple of seconds. Uh, we talked about that in the Colorado portion in the first episode. That's That's a big hit for them. And there's not much else you can say about it. They might have to LTIR Andrew Ladd or something similar to get the money to sign Matt Barzell. In a league where anyone had a spine, someone would offer sheet him. Maybe they've tried, but, you know, he's kind of lingering as an RFA. And if no one is going to make a serious run at him, then I think Lou Lamorello was going to eventually get him to a deal that he's happy with. Uh, they had no first or second this draft, thanks to the Peugeot trade. Uh... You know, they'll they'll be crowing about uh, how much better they got after Tavares left for a while. But now it's going to start getting ugly. Yeah, I mean, the Islanders uh, and their fans, I guess, now have a very us-against-the-world stra- um, mindset, which is understandable mm-hmm. um, because, you know, everyone did count them out. I think not unreasonably. And for what it's worth, the results on the ice have been such that they've won four playoff rounds in the last two years. That's a lot more a lot more than the Leafs and a lot more than a lot of other teams. Mm-hmm. At no point did it really look that, like, it was incredibly sustainable to do so, but, hey, they did it, right? That's what matters. Yeah. Um, looking forward, and I think this is the part that probably annoys Isles fans a lot, is that looking forward, you know, people don't seem to be really revising their expectations of, like, oh, maybe this team is actually going to surprise us again. And I, th- I guess maybe I'm falling into the same trap because I... I don't see that either. It seems like they've gotten worse. And look, maybe there's something they're doing there that's not captured by regular um, stats or whatever, but we don't even have to get very fancy to find stats where the Isles don't look like a great team. Their goal differential last year was negative mm-hmm. in, in the regular season. Yeah. Right? It, it's... You can say, okay, maybe they're they're winning close games and losing big ones. They have a sta- a system that you know maybe is, is designed to you know when it fails it'll fail spectacularly, but you, you know you lose the same amount of points for a five nothing loss as a one nothing loss, so it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. And yeah, maybe that's the case, but I just I can't see inherently why that would be the case, right? That that seems yeah. like a narrative that is made to suit the data. No, no one. Yeah. It's not like you know Barry Trotz is coming in before the year. It's like, all right, guys. Well, when we suck, we're going to suck really hard. But most of the time, we'll be <laughs> we'll win by a goal. It's like that, that doesn't seem like the the style that he's trying to play. I think it's more likely that they got a bit of cluster luck. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you start with the base that they weren't a phenomenal team, right? Maybe you 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 know upgrade them for for winning. I guess three playoff rounds, right? Or two and a half playoff rounds, however you want to describe it. Um, and you say, okay, they're, maybe they're a better team than we thought, right? Because those games did still happen. But I think they've inarguably gotten worse this year, right? Uh, Taves was arguably their best defenseman, right? Yeah, and, and, and you know, I think that, yeah, I think that might not be as well understood. It, it certainly wasn't by me. Like, I was kind of late to the table on realizing they were playing Devin Taves by the end as, like, a top-pairing guy. Mm-hmm. And relying on him, and he was doing quite well at it. Like, this is a real loss for them. Now, we always sort of assume that the Barry Trot system is strong, that it's going to make everyone look better defensively up to a point. Uh, 
But, you know, that only gets you so far. I do think, let's say that I'm an irritated Isles fan, and I would say something like, okay, Barry Trotz is undeniably a great coach. I think everyone agrees. Let's say that he's very, very, very good at controlling play and making it low event. And this team is ideally suited to do that. And the team is going to be more prone to getting blown out because they're less good when they have to open up and they're trailing. But when they get a lead, they are going to be good at holding that lead, let's say. And he'll, they'll say, hey, they're, they're built for playoff hockey, for lower event, more physical hockey, whatever you want to put on that. And the evidence is they looked really good in the playoffs, and they did statistically too. And they won rounds. This is, you know, it's, I don't find that like automatically implausible. I'm not sure it's all that borne out from what I can see of the numbers, other than, look, they won playoff rounds. Yeah. And, and so, like, I buy well, that and, they're and probably... They, also, yeah. they didn't undeservedly win those rounds, to be very fair. No, they, they were good. They, they, yeah, they were the better team, I think, in the series that they won. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. yeah, like, they, they were, like, a mediocre-ish team in the regular season. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I see that they, they had a higher points percentage than the Leafs. <laughs> you know who else was mediocre? Yeah. I mean, yeah, they were, like, a, a mediocre, slightly above-average team in the regular season, and they played very well in the playoffs. And how much, how much do you want to rate that um, playoff level as their true base, right? Because that, you know, mm-hmm. if you if you think they've gotten worse since then, then, you know, where you're putting their base at matters a lot. Now, they do have Noah Dobson, who I think is going to is gonna be the person who steps in for um, Taves. Yeah. And, and Noah Dobson was a very, very highly rated draft pick. So he could be excellent. Um, mm-hmm. But we don't know yet. Yeah. And Oliver Wallstrom is going to hit a speed bump a little bit, although he's 20 and he's still well thought of. Mm-hmm. But he was uh, considered part of their forward haul. You know, I think that you can acknowledge that the Islanders have done better than we thought they would do. That maybe they even do things that we just straight up can't capture. Maybe they really are a better team in the playoffs than the regular season. I don't know. I, like, I don't rule that out, at least. And, you know, they're certainly committed to their model. It's boring as shit. By the way, I resent when people try and be like, oh, no, you just don't get it. It's exciting. No, it's not. I'm sorry. Like, it's not fun to watch. They block shots left, right, and center. That's fine. That shows dedication and commitment. It's dull. But whatever. It's worked for them. But you look at this team and lots of financial commitments to guys who are going to be 30 soon or are well into their 30s. That stretch into the future. Lots of kind of bloated mid-level contracts. Um, you know, they're playing Leo Komarov $3 million this year and $3 million next. And all of this stuff kind of starts to add up to they don't have a ton of flexibility now. They already don't have enough money to pay Matt Barzal until they make another move. And maybe it's just Andrew Ladd on LTIR, but still. However good you think the Islanders are, I think the clearest thing is that it's going to be a lot harder for them to get better from here now. Yeah. I, I would so, agree with that. Like, yeah. You can think that they're a good playoff team right now. I think, I think that's reasonable, right? Like, they, yeah. Over the last two years, again, they've won uh, four playoff rounds. That matters. That means something. Mm-hmm. Right? And, um, you know. And, yeah, despite how kind of poor they looked in the regular season, they seemed like a different team in the playoffs. Now, how, it's just how much do you want to carry that forward? Um, 
But as you said, the yeah, the, the critical thing is, are they going to get better from here? And it seems likely that they are not, just based on what that roster now looks like, and you know the lack of efficiency in all of the, and not all, in a lot of the contracts, and the fact that they seem to be very capped out right now. So, uh, you know, things can change. To me, they look like okay. So to me, if you're looking at it from the staff, they look like an average team. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's bump them up a little bit because, you know, they have some quality that we can't yet define that is shown to be successful in the playoffs the last two years. Right. Mm-hmm. Are they going to be any more than that? I don't know. And that could be enough to make another deep playoff run. Uh, it could be enough sure. to win the cup in, you know, some crazy circumstance. But I don't think they're one of the favorites or particularly close. No, I, I'd agree. And, and, you know, I it can look like this is the definition of insanity of. <laughs> predicting the same thing and expecting different results, but I still don't believe that they're genuinely close to that top well, I mean, four. It, 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 this was true until March 12th, wasn't it? Like, yeah. in, in the, they were an average team in the regular season that was benefiting from cluster luck, it looked like. And, yeah. then, uh, and, you know, and they weren't, it's not like they were running the table in terms of wins either. No. That, that's the one thing I want to imagine. It's like the numbers look like this, but also just the standings. Yes. It's not like they were winning and we didn't understand they, why. I think in March they lost, they were on like a crazy streak. They lost like 11 of 13 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then the playoffs come in the bubble and they wreck shit. Yeah. So, I, I, look, if you fundamentally think that playoff hockey is different from regular season hockey and they are uniquely tailored for, for playoff hockey... Um, then maybe that's real. I, I buy that playoff hockey is a little bit different than regular season hockey, but I generally think that the teams that are good in one are good in the other. Yeah. And plenty of teams that were assumed to be bad or flawed that we've seen turned out to be pretty good. Washington for the longest time was considered not to have whatever it took to win in the playoffs. And maybe they didn't, but eventually they did. You know, uh, San Jose didn't until they made a run to the finals. It's... Like, I'm not ruling out that they have things that probably work better. I think that when they want to, they can make it really, really tough to score on you. To score on them. And so, all of that is worth something. But, like, this is probably, like, I still see a middling team that can overachieve a little bit. But not a lot. Probably not enough. And now I don't see how they become more than a middling team, in fact. Yeah. Uh, I... That's kind of where I stand. I'm, I guess maybe a little, I, I would, if you asked me, you know, if you gave me even odds, I'd put them in the playoffs before I take them out. Pending, we don't know how yeah. the, I guess the, the system is going to work this year because of, um, yeah. you know, Canadian division and whatnot. But, I, you know, yeah. if, if it's something similar to last year, I think they're a playoff quality team right now because they will have Barzal, most likely. He's probably just going to sign a bridge deal. But, mm-hmm. yeah, going forward, it's going to be interesting to see how they fit all this stuff in because it doesn't look like they have a lot of room. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. So it's pretty fraught. And, you know, Lou Lamorello, I don't know. If he goes and wins a trade, maybe this all looks very different. But TBD, let's see. Um, The New York Rangers. (laughs) I love it. We go from like the Islanders. It's like, man, they play too much defense. Well, good news. Um, the New York Rangers well, bought out. One thing we'll say about the Islanders, their, their, yeah. their, their defense, you know, by expected goals or whatever, it's like, it's fine. It's not great. It's not terrible. It, mm-hmm. it, it's not like, they're not, you know, 2015 Nashville, to use an example that we, we just discussed. Yeah. Um, and you can say there are things that maybe aren't captured there. Their goalies always look really good. That said, they've also just had good goalies. Like one of them was Robin Lanner, 
mm-hmm. who has been good in mother in other environments. So who knows? But whatever. Anyway, uh, yeah. So the Rangers they bought out Henrik Lundqvist, who was kind of at the what appears to be the end of a, a long and illustrious career. Uh, they signed Yak. <laughs> Why did I say Yak Janssen? I, like I'm just reading it as if he's Swedish or something. I don't know. I'm gonna get really eccentric with the pronunciations now. Jack Johnson, who has the most American name imaginable and can't play hockey very well, uh, they signed him for one year at 1.15, just for the thrill of it. Why not? Uh, they extended Alexander Georgiev at two years, 2.425 million. We have fantasy traded for him a million times, but now he's staying there. They extended noted shithead Anthony D'Angelo, two years, 4.8 million. They extended Ryan Strom, who was like an Edmonton rehab case. He looked like awful and done there, and then this past year he scored a shit ton of points. Two years at 4.5. Traded away Leas Anderson that we talked about, and by far the most significant thing they did was they drafted Alexis Lafreniere first overall. Uh, oh, and they paid a second to Detroit to unload Mark Stahl. Woo! Um, I don't think that they've addressed their defense at all, which is very bad so i guess that's my starting point with them is that like they still seem like a pretty porous team and adding jack johnson ain't exactly gonna fix that up yeah so yeah i mean drafting alexis lafreniere also and he's considered to be like a tremendous uh winger with a lot of potential but i don't think too many teenage wingers come into the nhl and improve your defense so that doesn't mean that he can't be very good or that he can't drive play or any of those things. It's just, I see the same problem that was here before in terms of they don't seem to have a great defense group. And they're counting on Jacob Truba to remember how hockey works, I guess. Mm. And I'm guessing Artemi Panarin, like, we probably just saw the best year of his career. And that's not, you know, saying that Artemi Panarin's bad now. It's just, you know, when you have a career year, it's hard to repeat that. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a career year. Yeah. I, I mean, to be clear, I think he deserved the Hart Trophy. Like, I thought he was the best player in the NHL last year, uh, at least for the regular season. So, that's a lot. And that probably made them look more credible than they otherwise would have uh, until they lost in the qualifying round, and then they got to draft uh, Mr. Lafreniere. And, of course, he's going to help a ton. Yeah. As you said, he's probably not going to be good defensively, but he'll probably be a superstar offensively. Yeah, like, there's a decent chance that it adds up to who gives a shit he's going to go and wreck things. And Lafreniere has been touted for so long. I'm not sure I have a perfect perspective on how good he really is. I mean, I I definitely don't, but the potential is there for, we're talking 50, 60 point rookie year or something like that. If they put him with Artemi Panarin or something like that, you know, like there's a lot of potential here. And so I have honestly very little idea what to make of this team. I don't think that they're, actually good but they could be exciting and this crazy uh semi rebuild that they seem to have sort of swerved into not quite rebuilding but also still sort of rebuilding because they did just draft first overall thanks to winning a lottery i don't know we'll see how it goes it's it's a wild confluence of events for sure it's a crazy team yeah very much so yeah uh, yeah, so anyway, uh, all we can note is that they're about to add a lot of offensive talent. Uh, let's go to the Ottawa Senators. Woo! 
Man, they were busy for a team that sucks this much. Mm. Uh, they bought out Bobby Ryan. They non-qualified Anthony Declare, which was interesting. Declare had a huge year for them offensively. And he's still unsigned. They've apparently been in touch with him, but it's not a great sign that they non-qualified him. They extended Chris Tierney, who's a mediocre center. They extended Connor Brown, who just had the best year of his life, because who was Ottawa going to play over him? They signed Alex Galchenyuk to one year at 1.05, speaking of uh, Mark Bergevin trades. He's kind of a reclamation project at this point. That's an entirely reasonable bet for them to make. Traded a fourth to Nashville for Austin Watson. They traded a fifth for Eric Goodbranson, who is, like, bad, but whatever. They got they traded a fourth for a depth D and gave them two years at 1.2 million. That's Joshua Brown. And then all of that stuff is kind of like just sustaining a bad team stuff. The stuff that really matters is as follows. They traded a second and a prospect for Matt Murray, goaltender of Pittsburgh, and then they gave him four years at 6.25. So that's a big bet for a guy who has not looked especially great in the past couple years after a career that started like gangbusters with him getting rings. And then they drafted Tim Stutzel, third overall, and Jake Sanderson, fifth overall. And what happens with Murray and Stutzel and Sanderson matters orders of magnitude more for the long term of the franchise than anything I said before that. Yeah, like the, the other signings are not that, you know, they, they run the spectrum from the good to bad to Gibranson. Um, <laughs> and yeah, as you said, what really matters is, is Murray, Stutzel, Sanderson. Murray, they, they've committed to him to essentially be their goalie of the future, right, of the near mm-hmm. future. So if he puts up an 899 again, that's not going to look good. This is like a big bet on their pro scouting. Yes. And scouting goaltenders is pretty difficult. Yeah, it's, they could be right and yeah. still have bad results, right? That, and I guess that's true of hockey generally, but it's doubly so when you talk about goaltenders. Mm-hmm. Like, I do get it. At some point, you want steady goaltending. If he turns into like a reliable starter again, which he has done in the past... Uh, this will be a, a nice foundational move. This could be their Freddie Anderson acquisition way back when. But it is, a, it's dicey. It's it's definitely dicey given his up and down track record. Uh, you, you know, the rumor of, with Matt Murray has apparently been that he plays too deep in the net sometimes. Apparently Pittsburgh actually got quite annoyed with him for that. He thought he you know, lost focus and kind of drifted back and then got beat. I don't know. Um... And apparently, like, his glove hand is so awful, like, worse than the average, like, oh, this goalie's glove hand is their weakness, and that's been found out, so to speak. I don't know if that has any validity at all, but but who knows? We'll see. Yeah, it's rumored. I mean, anyway, you slice it. He was not saving the puck as much as they wanted him to, and he lost his job in Pittsburgh to Tristan Jerry. And so now Ottawa has said, nope, you're our guy. So all we can say is they better hope that they're right. Uh, Tim Stutzel third overall was kind of, by the time the draft rolled around, it wasn't really a question. Like, they were going to take whichever of Quentin Byfield and Tim Stutzel was available at third overall, and it was Stutzel, and they took him. And, you know, he's considered to be a very gifted center in the DEL. We'll see how that goes. Jake Sanderson was a bit more of a controversial pick. He's considered the best defensive defenseman in the first round of the draft this year. Do you want that at fifth overall? 
Yeah, like, I mean, to be clear, Sanderson, yeah. he's not he's not a plug by any means. He's no, no. He was also considered like one of the best the skaters, right? Yeah. But I think a lot of the draft people who we follow seem to think that um, the forwards at the high end of the draft represented more value than the defensemen, right? There was two defensemen mm-hmm. who were projected to go in, in and around that area, Jamie Drysdale and Jake Sanderson. And then the forwards, you had, you know, Holtz, who we've mentioned before, Stutzel, who they picked at three, um, Rossi, who went at nine, I guess, um, mm-hmm. Ray, uh, Alex Raymond. Is, is, no, his name's not Alex. It's Alexander Holtz. It's Lucas Raymond. Sorry. Yes. Lucas Raymond. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so guys like that, right? Yeah, and, and you know they they didn't have a chance to pick uh, Raymond. Mm-hmm. Yes, because he went four. But yeah, but everyone else was on the table, including Jamie Drysdale, who went to Anaheim at six. You know. Now that said, it has to be noted, Pierre Dorian picked Brady Kachuk over Philip Zadina uh, a couple years back, and. That was not considered to be the best choice by some in the online scouting community. And time has borne Pierre Dorian out on that. And Ottawa's and a good so, drafting team, right? They're interesting that they almost, they very, very rarely draft from Europe, right? They almost always draft from like North America and college. I guess like CHL and college. Yeah, it's been kind of interesting to see how that's developed in recent years. Um, I think they, they actually did draft someone out of Russia this year, and it was the first time in a very long time. Yeah, it was Igor Sokolov who they took in the second round. But for a while, it it actually seemed like they didn't have a real Russian scouting department. (laughs) Like, they had people on on the masthead or whatever, but they didn't seem to have anyone that they trusted to recommend a pick to them. But they did go back to it a bit. But still, they, they focus on the areas they focus on. And it's been impressive that they found a certain amount of value. Now, now, I'm not qualified to comment on their picks after. Well, I'm not really qualified to comment on any of them, what am I saying? But, like, I didn't know pretty much anything after uh, their first couple. Like, Ridley Grieg, I have no idea if that's a good pick at 29th. But Sanderson is interesting. It'll be interesting to keep an eye on. And if if it doesn't work out to 100%, like, I'm not predicting Jake Sanderson is like, oh, no, he's not going to play in the NHL or anything. Like we said, we don't think he's a plug. It's just, if he turns out to have been the fourth or fifth best of the choices that were available to them among those top players, that is an issue. Because this draft is supposed to set up the Ottawa Senators for the future. It's supposed to put them in a position to really build around. You know, in the ideal scenario... Uh, this is their Patterson and Hughes. And it doesn't have to be that good. But the goal is to set the table. So, that's something just to keep an eye on. They're going to suck this year. Uh, and that's fine. They have their first again. The rebuild proceeds apace. They are playing a remarkably uh, young roster. Also, I should add, uh, I didn't mention, but they made one of the most surprising free agent signings of the offseason when they got Evgeny Dodonov three years at five million per. And he's 31. So, like, they're going to have a team of a few kind of grinders like Connor Brown, a lot of young people, and Evgeny Dodonov. Just like a wild mix. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I mean, all things considered, I think that it's an offseason where they did some good things and some bad things that don't really matter and then they did a few things that 
are hard to gauge, but that in two or three years could really determine the, the direction of the franchise. Yeah. Uh, are we ready to look at Philadelphia? Sure. Okay, so they extended several of their guys, most prominently Oscar Lindbaum, uh, three years at $3 million. Uh, I think everyone is kind of rooting for Oscar Lindbaum after what he's gone through to get back to hockey, so good for him. Uh, they extended Brian Elliott and Robert Hag, who were minor guys. They got Justin Braun, two years at $1.5 million, who is a super, super defensive defenseman. Like, no offense, but good defense, even though he's getting old. Matt Niskanen retired unexpectedly, which, which hurts them. He, he still had a year left, and he was still good. So I get he decided he'd had enough of it, and so that, that stings a bit. And then they drafted a sniper named Tyson Forrester, 23rd overall. So this team is kind of similar to last year's, except Braun in, Niskanen out. And so it, it comes down to how good do you think that they are already, like based on what they've shown. Yeah. They also got Eric Gustafson, right? Uh, yes, they did. I apologize for, for not mentioning that. One year at $3 million. Gustafson is a hyper-offensive defenseman. Yes, very, Put up very a huge so. number of points with Chicago, but no defense at all. Yes, he, so he, he can't really replace Niskanen on defense, um, mm-hmm. or on the defensive side of playing the defenseman position. Yeah, I, Flyers seem like they're kind of the same as, as last year, and they're kind of the inverse Islanders, right? They had a very good regular season, and in the bubble, they just seemed like a shell of themselves. Mm-hmm. And Which is, uh, yeah, yeah. How, how do you how do you view, you know, the the bubble essentially? Like that, that's what that's what it comes down to, and I don't really know it's been, it's such a weird situation and this year is going to be also a very very weird situation so i'm not sure they they have a they have a good team they have one pretty terrible contract in kevin hayes Every, otherwise uh sorry as per the fan vote on the nhl.com kevin hayes is what the <laughs> sixth best center in the nhl that's true i wasn't respecting that was the that funniest enough. thing i've ever seen um yeah so i guess we'll, that's not amazing but other than that, it's, you know, they have good players. Um, Giroux expires not this year, but I think next year. And mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. They are kind of transitioning to, you know, the, this is kind of Travis Konechny's and Sean Couturier's and I guess Ivan Provorov's team now. Yeah. Um, and that legendary Couturier deal expires at the end of next season. Mm-hmm. So not this one. Um, which is fine, but they are going to have to probably pay him a lot more money. So, something to keep an eye on there. I think that this is... You could make an argument that this is the best of the mushy middle teams. Like, if you say there are four really genuine top-tier contenders in Tampa, Colorado, Vegas, Boston, in some order, I would listen to arguments that Philadelphia should be fifth. I don't quite have them that high myself. But they have a very impressive-looking roster. Mm-hmm. Like, like lots of big names, guys you recognize as stars. The defense, you know, maybe it ought to be better. Shane Gostas' beer has not quite delivered on maybe what was expected of him after he had such a dynamite entry to the league. It seems like they're scoring. always on the verge of divorce. Those yeah, things. yeah. Like, they never seem happy with him. He doesn't seem happy to be there, but he's still there, and he's got three years at 4.5. So, I guess this will continue. But, yeah, so, I don't know. Like, they just don't quite seem 
as if they have it all together. Also, their numbers were not as good as maybe they seem like they ought to be. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm maybe I'm overrating them a bit. Anyway, like like they were a good team. They could easily be the best team in the Metro if the Metro was a thing next year, which it may not be. It's just when they run into like a really good team, I don't trust the, these guys to pull it out. Like I think that there's a notable gap between those top four teams. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that's a fair way to describe it. Like the the results through most of last year were better than the numbers indicated they they should be, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Right, or at least that when it comes to to five on five, they they had a good finishing year. Yeah, and they have guys who can finish. Yeah, they have, so they have like talent. maybe it's real, but yeah, yeah, you know they're they're going to be similar. They've oh. got Carter Hart. Yeah, and they've who Carter is... Hart, who's a Looks like he's actually a, you know, good goaltender. Yeah, like he's the real deal. So, yeah, like th- this is a fine team. They're on, on an interesting mix of veterans or guys in their early 30s and then some up-and-comers. Lots of talent. It wouldn't surprise me. Like, they're the kind of team where it's like maybe one move gets them where they want to go. And they still have a little bit of cap space if they want to try adding at the trade deadline or... Even if they want to pick up, again, one of those names we've still seen kicking around the market. It's just I don't think that they're quite there, but I think that they're certainly a respectable team. Uh, Are we ready for the Penguins? Yeah, sounds good. Uh, Yeah, so the Penguins um, brought joy to all of our hearts by signing Cody Ceci. One year at $1.25 million. So, I mean, I guess he can't be that damaging as long as they recognize that he's a third-pair guy. Uh, they extended Tristan Jerry, three years, $3.5 million. He had a strong year, but now he's the guy. Like, Matt Murray is gone. He is their goalie. They better hope he's ready. And it's not that the financial commitment is that arduous, if he turns out he can't be the guy. It's just that the Penguins are the most win-now team that has ever tried to win now. And so if he's bad, they're not winning. And, you know, then they're relying on Casey DeSmith. Um, they extended Jared McCann, two years, 2.94. He's like a boring bottom six forward. Uh, I mean, we expected them to get rid of Matt Murray. They didn't get much of anything for him, but it was pretty clear that wasn't going to go on. And they made the famous Kasperi Kapanen trade. I think that they were in the right position for the Kapanen trade, where they got the best player back, but they overpaid. I think they clearly overpaid as the way the market has since panned out because we're seeing a lot of good players mm-hmm. um, who have any kind of salary moved for almost nothing because money is so so tight right now. So, yeah, uh, they traded Patrick Hornfist for a bottom six forward in Colton Sevier and hilariously overpaid defender Mike Matheson, who has six years left at 4.875. Yeah, that, that one's a oh. bit of a head-scratcher, isn't it? I, I mean, look, we may just have to accept the fact that Jim Rutherford doesn't know how defensemen work. Um, it's probably relevant, actually. They also, they bought out Jack Johnson. There, there's a lot of addition by subtraction here. Yeah, yeah, losing Jack Johnson is good for them. Yeah, and like, um, so Jack Johnson was one, Patrick Marlowe wasn't very good last year. Um, yeah, honestly, it's very hard for me to remember that he played for them at all. Yeah. <laughs> like, he and, was... And even Matt Murray was, like, yeah, as I mentioned, he put an 899 last year. That's, that's a negative value. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's rough. And so, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. What's interesting is they had to dump Nick Bukestad in a pure salary dump mm-hmm. at 50% retention for a conditional seventh, which is like nothing, bare minimum. And uh, the conditions on it are such that he might not reach them. So, you, you know, I I think that Kapanen helps. Hornfist was getting up there, but, like, he was still a useful player. Yeah, I thought. I mean, he, he, he has, there's that big pause there, and I think we're, we're trying to consider exactly, you know, what to say about Kapanen, but... How good is he really? He, he has the yeah. skills that you can talk yourself into. It's never really worked with him with better line mates for reasons we've discussed. His skill set is not one that really takes advantage of, of line mates um, yeah, um... in an appreciable way. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a little skeptical of how he's going to work with Crosby, but Crosby has certainly made you know, players worse than Kasperi Kapitan look pretty damn good. And, you know, Pittsburgh, yeah. I, 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 don't always, um, I don't always like their moves, but... Mm-hmm. They are doing the right thing, which is to maximize your window, right? That, and that's, all, that's what they should do while they have two of the best players uh, in NHL history. Yeah, uh, this is kind of arguably the inverse of the, the Montreal Canadiens thing that we talked about, where it's like the big picture vision here, which is make hay while the sun shines... I don't give a shit about draft picks, really. Let's go. Let's try and win while we still can. That's absolutely correct. They shouldn't do anything else. It's just, are they going about it in a way that makes sense? And when you get guys like Mike Matheson, I don't think so. When you pay as much as you did for Kapanen, I wonder about that. I think that there was more that could have been done on the table. But again, you know, Kapanen is probably going to have... I suspect a productive year. They're talking about playing him with Sidney Crosby, and there's been a lot of memeing in Leafs Nation about like how frustrated Crosby is about to be. But come on, Kasperi Kapanen is a good forward, even if he's maybe not had the best synergy with star players. And it's Sidney Crosby. Like, I expect next year Kasperi Kapanen will set a personal high for points, at least on a prorated basis. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I mean... As long as they have Crosby and Malkin, I think you have to take the Penguins seriously. Yeah, pretty much. It's just, that's that's how it is. So, e- even after this semi-coherent off-season, where they made some, some dubious moves, uh, they're good until they're not. Uh, so, the San Jose Sharks, uh, not good. <laughs> We've talked a bit about what... They had, you know, they had an everything that can go wrong, did go wrong year. And so as much as they had real troubles, they were also, like, very unlucky, I think it's fair to say. Like, nothing worked out for them. Uh, they extended Kevin LeBanc at four years at $4.725 million. That was a really obvious cap store convention. They signed him for one year at $1 million the year before, which was wildly undervalued. And now they've made it up to him by paying him a deal that is probably well over value. (laughs) So, anyway, I think it's wild how obvious that is to me, but okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, They traded the fifth for Devin Dubnik to Minnesota. They need more bad goalies, I guess. Uh, Dubnik has one year at 2.167 after retention, so that's fine from a financial perspective. But 
Dubnik was very bad last year, and that lines up with Martin Jones, who was also very bad last year, and who has four years at 5.75 left. And then they traded for Depsy Ryan Donato. So, I, I mean, like, nothing here is going to really help. Like it, like the. I think they're gonna benefit from regression to the mean, but they've made no additions that I actually think change the complexion of their team at well, all. Well, they might not benefit from regression to the mean if they're gonna play Devin Dubnik. No, that's the other thing. It's like, is this a stealth tank? I don't know. It, it very well could be. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think we have to spend too much time on the Sharks because they haven't changed that much, and what they have changed is not good. Yeah, like. I think the Sharks, like all kidding aside, will probably be better next year to some extent. The long-term outlook here, cap is brutal. Um, everyone is getting old. Goaltending is like in no means secured. At least they have their first, I guess. I do want to give them a shout out. They drafted Ozzy Weisblatt, 31st overall. He's considered a good skater and a possession winger. And I'm told they had a good day at, at the second day of the draft too. But they made a nice gesture by having... Uh, the announcement of the draft pick for, for Weisblatt be done in sign language in courtesy to Weisblatt's mother who was hearing impaired. That's to their credit. That's yeah, a that nice was nice. Gesture. That was a nice moment. Yeah. So, yeah. But uh, the team is probably going to finish really far down. Hmm. Uh, St. Louis. They let Alex Petrangelo go to Vegas and they never really acted like they wanted to keep him was kind of weird how cavalierly they treated Petrangelo, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, they traded Jake Allen, as we've discussed, for a third and a swap of seventh. That was the natural thing for them to do because they had two goalies and they pretty much committed to Jordan Bennington for another year at 4.4. So that's fine. They signed Tory Krug, seven years at $6.5 million. He's a star power play defenseman. He's kind of interesting because he he never plays tough competition at all. He's always been like he's a second like, pairing guy, right? And always also been yeah. the more offensive guy on his pairing. Like he was played with Carlo sometimes in in Boston, right? Yeah, um, and you know, like maybe they'll maybe they think that'll work out. I don't know if they're planning to pair him with Colton Pareko or or what the deal is there. It's just interesting because Petrangelo was a do-everything guy. Really Krug is ha- not a do-everything guy. I bet they really wish they had a Justin Hall-type player to pair with him instead of Colton <laughs> Pareko. <laughs> well, I think we should talk trade with them. But, uh, yeah, so... I mean, really, the defining thing about their offseason was they consistently acted like they weren't interested in retaining Petrangelo. Mm-hmm. And I know Doug Armstrong has always had a thing about no-move clauses... Like, they, they really believe that they don't want to give them to anybody if they can at all avoid it. And it's worth noting the Krug deal has a no trade, which eventually decays into a modified one in the last two years. Like, they really seem determined to, we're not going to tie our hands ever, even if it means that players don't sign with us. But right from the beginning, with uh, trading for and then extending Justin Falk last year, and then how they've approached the negotiations where they didn't seem like they were really sincerely making offers. They decided to let their best defenseman and maybe best player go. Yeah, it, it did it did seem like they're like they thought, okay, the deal that we're, he's going to have to sign or he's going to command is not one we want to have, so we're going to basically give him a courtesy offer, 
and he's going to go somewhere else, and that's fine. Um, yep. So, yeah, that's... It's not completely unreasonable, um, but the Falk trade and signing kind of was. I, I still don't know exactly what they were thinking there. Krug is a really good dumb. player. Um, yeah, I think Krug, maybe his power play prowess is a little overrated because of, we've talked about this before, because of, you know, who he plays with. I think it's hard to separate that out, but I, I buy that mm-hmm. he's talented on the power play. Um, sure. In general, St. Louis, they t- seem to take a step back last year, and I mm-hmm. don't know if they've done anything that will put them back into content, true contender status for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's a legitimate assessment of it. It's interesting because when St. Louis won, for the second half of the regular season, they looked like a champion caliber team. And they played very well in the playoffs, and it sort of made sense. So it wasn't like just a Cinderella run. Or if it was, it was quite extended. Like, they looked like the real deal. But prior to that, and since then, they haven't exactly looked the part of the champion. And I've been a little slow to let go of my my vision of them as this dominant possession team. But now it's it's you sort of look at them and you're like, okay... This roster is getting up there age-wise. Um, what's the what's the outcome here where this team gets back to those those top four teams? And they do look like they're they're moving further away because whatever you might say about the tail end of the Petrangelo deal, which is going to be probably pretty gross, he's a much better defenseman right now than Jory Crew. So like you got worse and you've accepted that you were getting worse. At a time when you have an aging group of forwards, you know? Bozak is 34. Ryan O'Reilly is still outstanding. He's 29. Braden Shen is 29. David Perron is 32. You know, like, that doesn't mean that it's it's all going to go sideways soon. But it does mean, like, you would sort of be thinking, okay, maybe it's time to capitalize. And I'm still fascinated by the choice to turn away from that. Yeah, I think there's still, you know, we, you, we've talked about the, the top four teams, right mm-hmm. um they're not in that top four but i think they're in the group behind them mm-hmm. but i think they're standing in that group has has fallen a little bit yeah although and, you know, and, you maybe know. just by the nature of that group that like kind of i guess you'd call them dark horse teams mm-hmm. none of them really excite me <laughs> no and i include the leaf uh... in that because they're in that group too but none of them i'm not like looking at any of those teams and like oh man watch out for these guys no, like, it really does feel like there's been a bit of separation. And in hockey, that's always a bit dangerous. As we just saw, the Dallas Stars, who I think we would both put into the Dark Horse category, and I, we actually did, before the playoffs when we did a preview, you know, they, they made a run to the finals. And any of these teams could, including St. Louis. It's just like, the big picture on St. Louis seemed like it really obviously ought to be, let's capitalize we have a team that just won the cup that's obviously really good let's do what pittsburgh or washington has done and ride this train until it runs out of steam and instead you look at moves like falk and like tory krug where you say like that's fine the falk is actually worse than fine but krug is fine it's just why are you content to potentially get worse that really gives me a lot of pause that they appear to have chosen that. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so th- that's something to uh, to keep an eye on. Uh, they drafted Jake Neighbors. 
26th overall. He's like a high-energy, dependable forward. He's not very exciting, but then neither is St. Louis, as we've established. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning. All hail the king. So they re-signed a ton of guys to variable contracts. Uh, Patrick Maroon, you have heard of, two years at 900k. Luke Shen, you have also heard of and may remember fondly or not, one year at 800k. They are so... Like, we talk about teams being capped out, where it's like, oh, they might have to, to find an extra million or something here. Tampa is in some new level of capped out, where it's like, they don't have enough money to sign any of their I, I feel like they're just going to show up to... Like, nothing's going to change, and they're, they're just like going to challenge the league. But yeah, do something about it, man. Like, yeah, we don't give a we, shit. We're just going to play with an overcapped team. Tell, tell, tell us not to. <laughs> right? Like, it, 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 it's been weird how little movement there's been it, it nothing has happened here and it seems like you know we've been saying for years something's got to give something's got to give and this looks like the year where it's finally giving except nothing has happened right and so that's where you get into to something here so first of all they tried to waive tyler johnson and they hope to clear some some salary and it's worth noting tyler johnson is like a second line forward even now and he's now, he's got four years left, and he's 30, and he's not very big, and he had a bit of a down year. But he makes $5 million per. Like, in a normal league environment, I think he gets claimed by somebody. I'm still a little surprised that no one was at all interested. But he was in a bit of an awkward position. It is also probably worth noting that they have a lot of players like this, like Alex Kalorn, or Yanni Gord, or Andre Palat, who have... No trades or modified no trades, but who conceivably could be waived. But the trick didn't work this time, so we'll see. Um, still, though, they have Anthony Chirelli, Mikhail Sergachev, Eric Chernak. Chirelli is like a fringe Selkie candidate forward, even if he had a bit of a, a down playoffs. He's really, really good. Sergachev is a potential top pairing D. I'm a little more skeptical of Eric Chernak, but he's been good for them. Um, playing some tough minutes, or at least he's been passable. And yet, maybe they don't want to leave. Like, that's kind of the takeaway here, is Tampa's a good situation in terms of warm weather, in terms of, you know, the championship window that they're obviously in. They're the best team in the league, for my money. And so maybe they're saying, hey, we don't really want to sign an offer sheet with, you know, whoever the fuck else or the Nashville Predators or what have you. In which case, the Bolts are going to get them pretty steeply discounted because if you won't sign an offer sheet and don't even consider it, what's your leverage? Sitting out, but like, you, you know, at some point the Bolts will have to do something to clear some salary, but every day that we go by where none of these guys sign an offer sheet where we don't even hear that they're close or considering it. That means that the price gets a little more reasonable for Tampa. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is like, imagine this was happening in Toronto. Oh my God. Every day. <laughs> we would have the premier, Doug Ford would be doing daily conferences about this, not about COVID. <laughs> I'm sure he'd prefer that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, um, yeah. Like it's just madness. But they've just kind of been like, okay, whatever. We're not going to worry about it. And 
I don't know what they're waiting on. Yeah, because how are they going to unload money at this point? But I guess... I mean... Well, I, you know what? It might just be that they're going to... There, there's these teams with more cap space than they know what to do with, necessarily. Right? Mm-hmm. Like Nashville. Right? They're just sitting on cap space. And I don't yeah. mean this will happen with Nashville specifically, but with one of these teams. And they'll just say, look, you guys aren't using your cap space for anything. We'll give you X pick, just take this guy off our hands. Mm-hmm. And we'll, I don't know, like, I guess it'll try and be a player who does not have a significant cash outlay, but I guess that, that's what the end game is here. I don't see what else it could be. Yeah, and, you know, I... Their position is improving. That's the thing. Now, Cap Friendly projects for the next season that they would have $2.895 million. And again, all, all of these players by themselves should make more than that. Like, each of them. So, they're not close to having enough money. But, you know, if they can clear, say, Alex Kalorn, you know, he always seemed like the natural trade candidate, even though he has a partial NTC, uh, then... Maybe they make this work. And maybe a, a lot of players say, you know what? I'll take a one or two year bridge. I'll get to contend for a cup next year. No question. And maybe I'll try again in a slightly less COVID influenced market and make more money on my next deal anyway. And, and so it, it just is weird if you pay attention to stuff like this because Tampa's in a superficially absurd situation where they're just not doing anything in light of a looming financial pressure that says they have to do something. But unless something gives in a way that hurts them, which is, you know, Chirilli signs an offer sheet or something like that, they can afford to be a little patient and wait for Detroit to finally say, okay, we'll take Kalorn off your hands for a seventh. Or not a seventh. Like, they'll want a lot more than that. But, like, but for X pick, like a second or a first or what have you. And then maybe that's how they get out of it. And then they sign all of these guys to what are still absurd short deals. Um, yeah, so like, a- anyway, if you were kind of rooting for the salary cap to bring Tampa back to earth a bit, it still seems like that might happen, but it, it hasn't yet. And they're, maybe they're going to get away with it. Mm. Anyway, they're the best team in the NHL. Yeah, pretty much. Until uh, we, we, we've, goes otherwise. you know... <sighs> slobbered their knobs a lot over the past however many years so we don't need to do it more they're a very good team they deserve to won a cup they're, they're gonna yeah. try and do it again yeah and so yeah uh the toronto maple leafs i i just wanted to throw this into context we're not gonna analyze them obviously because we do that every other time but i have them about fifth to tenth in the nhl like in that bracket with say philadelphia and st louis yeah philly st louis pittsburgh toronto Dallas maybe still yeah like like I think that that's that's a fair grouping and then maybe the Islanders depending on how much you want to believe in the things we talked about yeah Islanders Oilers are knocking on that door probably yeah uh and so you know that that is what it is and you can kind of contextualize this team in these discussions that we've had about other teams Uh, I think it's it's clear that there's not a real basis to put them up with the top four that we've been talking about. So we'll see. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks. Whoa, boy. Uh, <laughs> this is a fun one. I think Jim Benning is like one of your favorite topics, to be honest. You're like our, our Jim Benning expert. Well, it's just, 
<laughs> he's just so fucking weird, man. Just does all this <laughs> dumb shit sometimes. And like he, it, there's like this huge culture war in Vancouver about, mm-hmm. you know, if you're a, a, an anti-Benning or a pro-Benning. And it's like, I don't see what he's done to inspire so much, um, so many pro betting people, to be honest, because it's like this is the first year the team has been good. Yeah, I, mean, I guess they made the finals uh, his very first year, but that was very clearly not his team. Um, and I, they've made good draft picks, but apparently that was Judd Brackett, and he's now in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. So, a- anyways, well, let's just go through with what they did. Yeah, they had a, a busy off season, so so bear with me a bit. They lost Tyler Toffoli, Troy Stetcher, Chris Tanev, and Jacob Markstrom. That's a pretty big exodus. Mm-hmm. That's a top six winger, a middle to lowish parish defenseman, but cheap and good. Chris Tanev, who was a very good defensive defenseman with injury issues, and Markstrom, who was their starting goalie. I think they were right to pass on the Tanev and Markstrom deals, which oddly enough both happened with Calgary. Like a weird subplot of this season has been that Calgary just got like five guys from the Canucks for some reason. But still, that's a lot for your team to lose. Uh, they extended Jake Vertanen, who inspired the title of this podcast, uh, two years and $2.55 million. Uh, He's a decent bottom six forward, all kidding aside. I think that that's fine. They extended Tyler Mott at two years at $1.225. He's a mad depth guy. They signed Braden Holtby, uh, famous Washington Capitals goaltender, uh, as sort of a bridge to the Thatcher-Demko era. It's pretty clear Demko they view as their goalie to come. And he had a good playoff run. Holtby hasn't been all that the last couple of years. But he was once one of the best goalies in the world. Uh, he was caught at the border due to his tortoises. And an endearing little story. Because he apparently did not fill out all the right forms. But he and the tortoises are safe in Canada now. After all that though. like It looked like it was going to be a real rough offseason for the Canucks. Where they just lost a huge amount of talent. And then... They did take advantage of the insane cap crunch that Vegas put themselves into by getting Nate Schmidt for a third-round pick. Nate Schmidt is worth more than a third-round pick. Now, he's older than you might think. He's 29, but he has five years at $5.95 million left. His year with Vegas was not that great by the numbers, but he's been a successful top-pairing D in the past for Vegas as part of those magical early runs. He's probably going to play with Quinn Hughes on their top-pairing. So, hopefully they were fit. The question is, does that balance out to uh, making up for what they've lost in terms of getting Holtby in for Markstrom and adding Nate Schmidt? And it's hard to say. It's, it's probably relevant that Vancouver was not really that good this past year. Not as good as people thought that they were. Certainly not as good as a lot of the the pro-Benning gang thought they were. They were being carried by uh, some very good young players in Pedersen and Hughes, and to some extent Bo Horvat. But the team results were rough. So, if they've gotten a little bit worse from team results are pretty rough, that's not a great outcome for this team. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. In their playoff run, they took Vegas to Game 7 in the second round. They beat St. Louis in the qualifying round. And I think a lot of, and it's understandable, a lot of fans are looking at that and saying, okay, you know, this is a team that's 
gone pretty deep in the playoffs. They've certainly accomplished more than the Leafs had, but again, this is the constant theme of how you judge teams. How much are you going to judge them on the playoffs? Right? It's inherently small samples. Things can happen. It's not worth nothing, but I'm not willing to throw away the previous data either over this. And, you know, the, as you said, Vancouver was a fine team, but nothing, nothing too special, and they seem to be overperforming, if anything. Um, mm-hmm. based on, you know, their shot totals. Now, they, they do have good finishers. They have Brock Besser. They have Elias Pettersson. You know, Pettersson, mm-hmm. we ranked him as the best under-21 player in the NHL, and I would stand by that. He is maybe a top-five forward in the world. He is that good. Mm-hmm. He, he will, not will, but he can absolutely win a heart, and I would not be surprised, at, like, in the least. If you told me Elias Pettersson yeah. finishes his career with two hearts and an Art Ross, I'm like, yeah, okay. Yep. Makes sense. He has that talent. Yeah. For sure. Um, so yeah, that, that, that can carry them a long way, but they also got really good, de- uh, goaltending from Markstrom and mm-hmm. who knows if Demko and Holtby are going to do the same. Now Demko had a really good playoffs, but again, it's a few games in the playoffs. How much are we, you know, banking on that? So that's the thing is I really thought the series against Vegas was a dangerous series for them for team evaluation for a couple of reasons, because one on the superficial level, they say, okay, we took the Vegas Golden Knights to seven games. Vegas is obviously a top-tier contender. I think most people agree with that. Mm-hmm. And so if we push them to seven games, that might mean we're pretty good. Except they did it basically all on goaltending, especially for the latter half of the series. That's your Demko stood on his head. And that's dangerous in its own right. One, because you can still talk yourself into saying, well, you know, we were keeping up with them, obviously, and that obviously means we're good, even though it's a seven-game series. And two, it stands in your mind when you evaluate Thatcher Demko, and you think, okay, obviously he's ready. But it's quite possible for a goalie to have a great playoff series and for that not to sustain itself over the full grind of a regular season. And again, they did get Holtby as a sort of insurance policy, but you look at him and they're saying, okay, they're not paying him no money. And based on his results last year, they're kind of paying for a certain percentage of who he used to be. And if he doesn't get return to form a little bit, if Demko wasn't as ready as he looked in the Vegas series, if the team was kind of being dragged to overperformance by Markstrom or whatever, this could be kind of a letdown year for them. I'm not saying it will be. I'm saying that there's a risk there that they weren't that good and didn't actually get better. And that's concerning. Yeah, um, pretty yeah. much. Um, and, you know, they had to lose out on good players because they've signed deals to, I don't know, like Jay Beagle and shit like that. Like their contract yeah, like, efficiency we- is not really good at all, except for um, except for their stars, really. Yeah. Right, they, they have, I do like. Yeah, they have maybe two of the best value contracts in the world in Pedersen and Hughes on ELCs. Mm-hmm. Right, then they have Besser, Horvat, and I'd say JT Miller is a decent contract too, especially after yeah, this year. Yeah, and yeah, he had a, a very strong year, and you know I think it's worth drawing a line there and saying you know when he signed Jay Beagle, or Tyler Myers, or even Antoine Roussel, who's been a little better than the other two, but. You know, this was what we were talking about when we said, like, look, this costs you players later when you want players. And you can draw a very direct line from overpays like that to guys who aren't worth it to watching 
Tyler Toffoli, who's a very good top six winger, sign a very reasonable deal with Montreal that you didn't end up keeping up with because you didn't have the money. You know, like, there are consequences to this. It's not just accounting stuff on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. It, it means, like, eventually the real players on the ice get worse. And, like, that should be obvious. But it just annoys me every time we talk about this. And everyone's like, oh, okay, so they overpaid Jay Beagle by... Uh, well, I mean, he's probably not really an NHL well, player, but they... He, you know, he's getting paid $3 million, So I would say they're overpaying him by about $2.3 million. Yeah, like, he's a minimum-level contract guy. It's like... That echoes down when the good players leave and you can't pay them what they're worth. And and so the Vancouver Canucks should still be in a really enviable team building situation. And the Nate Schmidt acquisition kind of salvaged what would have otherwise been a really rough offseason. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not ruling them out. Also, if they're in a Canadian division or if they're in the Pacific... Like, I, I certainly think that they can be one of the better teams in that group. But th- I don't think this team is going to be as good as it should be. And I think that should worry you if you're a Vancouver fan. Yep. I, I agree. Uh, all right. Time for the Vegas Golden Knights. I feel like we've talked up Vegas throughout the yeah a couple of podcasts because we keep putting them in the top four. But Vegas decided, much as Tampa seems to be doing, that cap space is for dorks. They just said, fuck it, we do what we want. They extended Robin Lehner at five years at $5 million, which is good for them and him, even if goalie contracts are iffy. But they couldn't un- unload Marc-Andre Fleury because this market was awful for anyone trying to move money, especially goalies. And so now they're paying $7 million for their backup for the next two seasons. And it doesn't sound like Fleury's the happiest about it if you want to judge by that famous tweet his agent made where he was being stabbed with a large sword. You'd think they'd be able to put him on LTIR, though. <laughs> <laughs> 30 days off for a chest wound um yeah so they extended chandler stevenson well, is, is, uh, sorry I, I'm, I'm being very um yeah. uh, just to riff off that uh, for for a second mm-hmm. someone's definitely made like the tis but a flesh wound joke about the flurry right with you know the, the night thing it makes too much sense right i'm not unique for thinking of that right no i i mean it has to be it's right there and then like mm-hmm. one of them is like getting Robin Lehner and one of them is signing Pete DeBoer as the coach or whatever mm-hmm. and what have you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel for him, Fleury's a nice guy and all that. At the same time, everyone's like, oh, poor Mark. I'm like, well, it's a business, yeah. man. Yeah. Like, like, it's not like Vegas is doing anything capricious and cruel here. They just, they got a better goalie and they signed him. Mm. That's how it goes. Um. And so, yeah, they extended Chandler Stevenson four years at 2.75, which is fine. He might be their second-line center now, depending on whether Cody Glass is ready, and that's kind of pushing it. Uh, Vegas kind of counts on their wingers to drive lines more than maybe most teams do, and it sort of works because their wingers are really good. Uh, they signed Alex Petrangelo at seven years at 8.8 million. I think we've talked about Petrangelo enough at this point. You know he's a star defenseman. That's going to be a, a rough ending to that deal, but they don't care about the distant future now. Uh, they traded Paul Stastny to Winnipeg for a fourth and an AHLer to clear salary. He was still a good center. He, was, he would probably have been their second-line center if they could have kept him. So that's a hit. And they unloaded Nate Schmidt, as we just discussed, to Vancouver for a pick. Um, yeah, 
I, I mean, if you want to poke holes in them, you can say, one, they probably downgraded at second line center. Mm-hmm. That's important. And two, you can say, this is a team that was really built on us against the world. We're kind of being underrated. We aren't really made of stars, but we're we're all really good and people are going to respect us and all that stuff. And then they took one of the most famous examples of that in Nate Schmidt and unloaded them to sign a star player to a fat contract. <laughs> you know, I don't want to psychologize it too much, but it's just kind of interesting how it jives with the whole ethos of the team up to this point. I don't know if that matters. Yeah, I, I'd say the other, on a more kind of, I guess, concrete level, the one thing I could say is like, okay, let's say you're a team like, let me just choose a random team off the top of my head that would fit this. Let's let's say you're the Rangers and you sign mm-hmm. Alex Petrangelo. That makes a lot of sense because he not only is, I mean, Alex Petrangelo is the same player in uh, wherever he goes. He provides the same set of skills, but he shores up a weakness for, say, the New York Rangers, right? Mm-hmm. He makes them a much better puck possession team, makes them much stronger defensively right? Vegas is already very good there. So just mm-hmm. in some sense, it's like, okay, well, how much better can they actually get at that, right? There's a kind of upper limit to how much of the puck you can dominate in a hockey game against an actual NHL team. Mm-hmm. And their bigger issue, their bigger weakness, or at least relatively, was that, you know, their finishing is not particularly immense. They have a couple good finishers, but no one amazing at it. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if it would have been a better use of resources for them to use their kind of puck possession style and their amazing play-driving wingers as an insulator for a guy with finishing talent. Like, like maybe Hoffman. maybe you, you spread out this money on Evgeny Dodonov and, you know, some other people. Or take mm-hmm. a, fl- a, a flyer on Hoffman as well. Guys yeah. who are maybe not great play drivers, but can really beef up your finishing. And you have, you know, Mark Stone and um, Pierre, or not Pierre Marchessault, um, Jonathan Marchessault and Riley Smith. I just went with a generic French name for Marchessault. <laughs> Pierre Marchessault. Um, but yeah, like you use, uh, use those guys and shore up an area of greater weakness. Now, I'm not sure, I'm not like 100% sure of that, but I think that makes some sense to me. Mm-hmm. And you could argue that, you know, they've, one, they've gone all in with, like, we are trying to win now. Yes. That's fine. That's what they should do. But, like, they're they're eating some huge risk on the back end. And it's like, are they, are they good with this? Like, I guess they are. Like, opening a weakness at second line center does feel a bit iffy. Maybe you think, okay, Stastny was on the the, the downside of his career at his age. Maybe they think Cody Glass is ready to rock. And, and again, they could say, like, look, we've got the wingers. But it, it is a fascinating reallocation. Like, we've talked about the Leafs reallocating from forward to defense with uh, dealing out Kapanen and Janssen and then signing TJ Brody. As you said, the Knights did the same thing, but it's less obvious that they were shoring up a weakness. I think they're still probably better than they were last year just because... I expect the drop from Stastny to whoever is not going to cancel out the increase from Schmidt to Petrangelo. But it's not maybe as obvious as the big names involved would make it sound. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like they're certainly not flawless because no team is. Um, but all things considered, I do think that they're going to 
you know they're going to dominate the puck. They're going to be a top five possession team. They'll have uh they should have a respectable power play, where uh, Max Pacioretty and Alex Petrangelo compete to shoot the most. But uh, yeah, I mean they are still very good, even if there are some some wild cap concerns going forward, and even if they are paying twelve million dollars against the cap for their goaltending for the next two years. So yeah. Um, yeah, something to keep an eye on with them is just whether that reallocation turns out to be not so great. But are we ready for Washington? Yep. Okay. Um, they signed Justin Schultz, two years, four million. He's a gifted offensive defenseman who can't play defense worth a damn. He was formerly at Pittsburgh. Uh, they signed Brendan Dillon, four years at 3.9. He's a strong defensive defenseman. He really slows the game down. The two of them are kind of two sides of the same coin. Uh, they drafted Hendricks Lapierre, 22nd overall. He's a very talented playmaker who has had a rough injury history with concussion, so it's kind of a boom-bust. If he can get healthy, they might be happy with that. Um, their power play last year was not that great for a, a legendary power play with probably the best power play scorer in history in Alex Ovechkin. But they were 17th in percentage and 21st in goals rate at 5-on-4. Like, the puck was not going in at the rate we expect for them. And, you know, they were a, an okay, but not outstanding possession team at 5-on-5. Five five. So, it, like, it looks like they're still good, I would say. Like, you could put them in that 5-10 that to 10 bracket if you were so inclined, if you believe in certain things about them. But I don't think that they're a top-tier contender, and they haven't been for a couple of years now. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, similar to what Pittsburgh is doing, right? Except, you know, I think as great as Ovi is, he's not as good as Crosby. And as great as, say, Nick Backstrom is, he's not as good as Malkin, right? So they're doing with, like, a slightly mm-hmm. lesser group of stars. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's... Maybe this is just after all that build-up and then they finally broke through and won the cup. It almost feels to me like Washington is kind of uh, in in their put-your-feet-up-a-little-bit years, which I know is not how hockey teams approach it or anything, but it feels like, okay, it's probably... The sun is slowly setting on this version of the Washington Capitals. I don't think they have another ring in them, unless they get a lot better. Mm -hmm. Uh, Schultz and Dylan are fine additions. That's not bad but that's not going to fix things in a macro sense and and you know that's that's kind of okay they'll still be respectable but they aren't they aren't graded anymore and that's just how it is yeah pretty Um, much i don't have a lot to say about them yeah i mean they've been covered a lot and then so finally we come to the winnipeg jets uh they extended dylan Demello four years at three million he was a much uh lusted after second pairing defenseman for teams that require that sort of thing, including us. So, uh, they, whenever I think of Dylan DeMello, I think of like that, you know, Jason Derulo and all his songs. He, at the start, he's like, Jason Derulo. Uh, I always think of that. <laughs> Dylan DeMello. Yeah. Oh, that's going to haunt me now. Um, yeah, so now you have to think yeah. about that too. Thank you for that. That's uh, a horrible curse that you've braced on my brain. Uh, they've extended backup Laurent Brossois one year at 1.5 million. He had a bad year last year. He had a good year the same the year before, playing about 20 games. It is what it is. It's a backup. Flip a coin. Yeah, you know, maybe one of those things will happen again or not. 
they extended Nathan Bolio at two years at 1.25. Bolio was one of those guys who I think came from like the Isle of third pairing defensemen, who a, a lot of stats people who are like heavily into Corsi were kind of into him. He's never actually looked that good by expected goals, mm-hmm. and he's not that great. Uh, they rented, well, it's a one year, maybe it's not just a pure rental, but they got Paul Stastny, as we just discussed. They know him because they rented him before, and then he left for Vegas, and now he's back. They always need a second-line center, seemingly every year, so for this year they have him. Brian Little seems to be done. Uh, they drafted Cole Perfetti, 10th overall, who's considered a very smart possession player. I think a lot of people were surprised that he was available at 10th overall, but good for them uh patrick line does not sound like he's very happy there like there's a lot of smoke coming out of winnipeg about like they're considering trading him and you know he's an rfa with Arbrights next year and i don't know how that relationship will go they can keep bringing him back all they want but it, it sounds like there's a lot of hurt feelings there uh this team did not add a single defenseman that i can see well, I mean, and they that's were so kind of incredible. Last year, <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it. No, as I think probably most of our listeners know, they were atrocious last year, and they were badly hurt by injuries. Like at some point, they were playing like their eighth or ninth string guys in pretty prominent defense roles because they were so damaged. But they were terrible, mm-hmm. and this team got crushed in advanced metrics very, very badly. Like. To the point where Detroit was not that far off. And that's not an exaggeration. They were right down in the basement. And Connor Hellebuck in net carried them to respectability. But but this was an awful team. Aside from goaltending. Yeah, they really, Um, really need um, Hellebuck to basically do the same thing again. Yeah, and um, that's it. Like, this kind of sucks, actually. (laughs) Like... You know, this is a team with no cap space, with a terrible defense group. Their star draft pick in Patrick Laine is unhappy and kind of wants to leave, and he hasn't... You, you know, he's he's quite good. He's still, uh, like, a great player, don't get me wrong, especially offensively. Like, only offensively is what I'm saying. But all of these outcomes for a team that had such a wealth of talent a few years back, I'd be really disappointed if I yeah. were a Jets fan. Yeah, it's, it came to this. it's been really, you know, a downward um, slide from them. And, you know, people were talking about them as being the next big consistent contender. Yeah. And, and you know, I thought they had the potential to do that too. But it just, it hasn't happened at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've obviously lost uh, defenseman after defenseman in terms of Bufflin, uh, leaving due to injury and sort of semi-retiring, uh, being forced to tr- to give up on Jacob Truba, who pr- pretty clearly wanted out. Yeah, not a ton they could um, do about that, actually. Yeah, and, and you know, and I, I sympathize there. It's it's kind of the difficulty of being in Winnipeg, which is just not going to be a desirable free agent destination compared to, you know, say Los Angeles or something like that. It's just not in the cards for them to be a major player in free agency, and that's what they have to live with. But now it really feels like we're seeing that where they lose players, they can't replace them, and now they have 
this kind of misbegotten roster that can't play defense for shit. So, yeah. Connor Hellebuck saves this team or this team doesn't do anything? Pretty much. Okay, well, that brings us to the end. We came in just under two hours this time. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, so hopefully this is, like, useful. I mean, most of the people who listen to this are obviously Leafs fans. Um, so hopefully this is useful to kind of contextualize where the Leafs are. And, you know, there is a lot of waiting and gnashing of teeth in the Leafs, in the Leafs fan base. Not undeservedly. Um, but all in all, the team's in a better spot than a lot of other places are right now. And it's good to appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, you know, if you want to look on the sort of bright side, you can still say, I would rather be in the least position than a great many of these teams. Then actually, like maybe 20, 24 of these teams. Yeah, it, honestly, it's a lot of these so, teams. Yeah, so that's reassuring to, to some extent, even if we can't put the Leafs in the top tier. So yeah. Cool. So you can catch all of mine and Fuleman's work at pendulumpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RV and AT Fuleman. Thank you all for listening, and we will catch you soon. <laughs>